What's going on, everybody? Hardest part of the ring here. Back at ya with a spicy, spicy Backlash 2020 review. Man, oh man. You know, is it just me? Or is the fact that Backlash is not the direct pay-per-view after WrestleMania, is it just me or is that absolutely infuriating? <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know, man. Maybe it's just the... Uh, the traditional fan in me that doesn't like it but whatever backlash wrapped up last night and i thought it was a damn good show really really good stuff i think it exceeded mine and a lot of others expectations based on the card that was uh, put forward in the build leading up to this show um i like that wwe is kind of embracing the rona era they're finally starting to acknowledge the lack of crowd and work around that rather than just work the same as if a crowd was there. You know what I mean? Because maybe it's trial and error. Maybe they just had to do that and realize it wasn't that great. And um, they've made a lot of adjustments to their production and how the show is laid out. You know, they've added the NXT guys around the ring, which... You know, obviously, it doesn't compare to having a true crowd out there. And a lot of times, it's a little like, like it's, it's WWE employees in the crowd. So, obviously, they're going to do exactly what the characters want to. You know, the heels are going to get booed. The faces are going to get cheered. Sometimes, it's a little over the top. But all in all, I think it's better than no crowd noise at all, in my opinion. I think that's, that's for sure the fact there. Also, just, you know, using more pre-recorded stuff you know i mean we'll get into it as we dive into the show but i, I like the street profits viking raiders stuff i liked the backlot brawl for the most part you know stuff like that i think has its place during this timeline we're in right now we don't have a crowd there man so we don't need to have 100 percent live matches we can afford to do pre-recorded stuff to add some uh, variety to the show, add some maybe comedy, add some more, you know, over-the-top cinematic stuff. There's no no problem with that. I see no issue in that at all. And uh, like I said, we'll get into that more as we dive into the show. But I think, all in all, I think WWE is trying to make the product fun during this time period because they can't feed off the crowd they can't do certain angles without an audience. So they're just having some fun with it. They do silly things like the greatest wrestling match ever. The whole production with that match. Like I said, the pre-recorded stuff. You know, the ability to kind of cut and paste certain things. Like on NXT a few weeks ago when we saw Velveteen Dream do an elbow drop from the top rope into like over the barricade onto the floor. Which obviously he didn't do, but they like cut and, you know, manipulated that to look like he actually jumped from the top rope onto the concrete floor. It's a little silly things like that I don't have a problem with. But as far as Backlash as a show, I thought it was a really good show from top to bottom. And that's not a thing you can say about a lot of shows. A lot of times these kind of shows will have, you know, some shit in the middle. Might have a good opening. Might have a good main event. But it's, you know, it's all in all. It's not really consistent. But I thought Backlash was a consistently good show. And I had a lot of fun watching it. I think at the end of the day, that's really all that matters. So with that, we just dive right into it, right? We had the pre-match show, Apollo Crews versus Andrade. Now, a lot of people were upset 
that this is a pre-show match, which to me, man, like pre-show, it's all on the same fucking platform, man. You turn on WWE Network, you watch it all the same way. The only difference is I think the pre-show is maybe what on YouTube or something. Like what really is the big deal about being on the pre-show, especially with no crowd? You know, I can see maybe, you know, if there's an audience, maybe a lot of people haven't shown up yet. So they have like a half full crowd or, um, you know, back in the pay-per-view days, you know, you would pay for the real show and a lot of people would only see that full show. They wouldn't worry about the pre-show. But nowadays, man, it's all the same. It's all the same crowd, same commentary table, same set same platform that you're watching it on like what does it really matter if it's on the pre-show or not personally i could like i could do away with a pre-show or like just cut it in half and make it a little bit more succinct because they use the same video packages on the pre-show that they do during the real show so there's really not a lot of value in my opinion from these pre-shows but nonetheless apollo versus andrade whether or not it's on the pre-show, or I keep saying pre-show, I'm sorry. Whether it, <laughs> whether or not it's on the pre-show or not, damn good match between these two. Pretty short, but um, they made every second count that they were out there, man. I am loving Apollo Crews' title reign. It's still early, you know, it's still, the jury's still out on it at a, in a certain aspect, but I love how they're kind of structuring it, you know. One thing they have to do, one thing that they've always had to do, but I think they've kind of failed at, is differentiate the U.S. title and the WWE title. Because how it's perceived and how it's executed, it's really the WWE title's up here, and then a couple notches below is the U.S. title. And I think they could do a lot more with that, than, a lot more than that. Because the WWE title, that's the main event, that's the spectacle, that's the character-based stuff, that's the marquee. Tune into this pay-per-view to watch this. But then you have the U.S. title, which, in my opinion, should be more geared towards workhorses. More geared towards, I'm going to defend this title. Maybe, if not every week on TV, a lot of weeks on TV. And then going to build up to a match on the pay-per-view where we're going to give you a barn burner every single time. And I think Apollo fits that kind of slot for that champion that they would need to uh, kind of illustrate where the U.S. title should fall in the hierarchy of titles. So, like I said, it's early in his reign. It's probably too early to kind of grade it. But so far, I'm really, really enjoying it. A really good match here with Andrade. Apollo, of course, gets the win here with his little uh, toss powerbomb deal. Uh, Kevin Owens is on commentary ringside. He prevents... Angel Garza from getting involved. Apollo takes advantage, gets the win. Good stuff here. Like I said, pretty short, but uh, very, very fun match. I almost expected Kevin Owens to turn on Apollo at the end. You know, they were both walking up the ramp. It was very reminiscent of when Kevin Owens turned on Sami Zayn that first time, but didn't happen here. And honestly, I don't know if they have enough baby faces on the roster to, to turn Kevin Owens again. I feel like also Kevin Owens is really hitting his groove as a baby face. So I really hope they don't turn him, especially since, you know, he's kind of been flip flopping for the past couple of years. So I hope they kind of keep Kevin Owens on this path that he's on now and uh, don't flip flop him too much. But uh, yeah, looking forward to see who Apollo works with after this. Maybe Angel Garza, somebody, I don't know, but good stuff there. And then... On the official show, first match, we have the Women's Tag Team Championship on the line. We have Sasha Banks and Bailey, the Tag Team Champions, versus Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross, 
versus the Iconics. Now, right off the bat, just got to say it, Sasha Banks annoys the fuck out of me, dude. I don't know if it's by design or not, but man, if it is by design, she's executing it very well because I cannot stand this bitch. Her pre-match little deal, you know, they had Sasha and Bailey backstage talking to Charlie Caruso, I think. Basically, you know, Charlie asked them, if they lose the titles, is that going to ruin their relationship? And then Sasha interjects, dude, her overacting ruins every segment that this bitch is in. It is so like, it's like she's like in her first day of wrestling school and learning how to cut a heel promo. And she's just doing every heel trope that she can in a really clumsy, clunky way. Like, it's just so, when it, when it, the mark of somebody who's good at promos, in my opinion, is when they talk and I can immerse myself in what they're talking about. Sasha is the opposite. When she grabs a mic and starts talking, I immediately am like, man, I'm watching a scripted TV show. Actors do that too. It's not, it's not, you know, exclusive to pro wrestling, but Sasha exemplifies that to the nth degree, man. She's just cringe on cringe on cringe. Like everything she does, like her body movements, it's like she's like too cognizant of like photos being taken. You know what I mean? Like she's walking around like really exaggerated, like like somebody like how nobody walks. She like does all these poses. She's like trying too hard to be sexy and like sultry and mysterious. She's trying too hard. It's like she's just thinking about how she looks and not actually thinking about what she's doing. And that's what takes me out of it whenever I see her. And which is a shame because she's good bell to bell. She's very she's had a lot of great matches. But her character work just takes me out of it, man, every single time. Just had to get that out of the way because <laughs> it's been bothering me. And God, fuck Sasha Banks, whatever. Anyways, that being said, the match itself was pretty damn good. Um, you know, it's a triple threat tag team match. By nature, it's going to be a clusterfuck at some points. It's going to feel a little bit overproduced. And it did more so towards the beginning it felt very choreographed and how, you know, they had the whole standoff between everybody, that whole deal, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, it's not just women, it's men. It's in all companies they do that and trip these kind of like multi-man ma or multi-person matches. So, but once they got into the groove, I thought the match was paced very well. Um, women's wrestling has progressed so much, man. I, I don't think we as fans sit back and appreciate it as much as we should. You know, women's revolution and all that gets thrown around a lot to the point where people don't even hear it anymore. It's just kind of like a a buzzword that people like to throw out. But literally, dude, like as somebody who's watching wrestling in multiple different timelines right now, like I'm watching the Attitude Era stuff and even like the mid 90s stuff and watching women trying to like it's like Bambi on roller skates on an ice rink, man. Like it's. A lot of it is very terrible and very, very clumsy, very unathletic and just kind of no rhyme or reason to a lot of things. And that kind of stuff really makes me appreciate women's wrestling nowadays. And I thought this tag team match exemplified how how far that they've come and how they kind of portray women as legitimate athletes. And I thought all six women in this match worked really hard. And I thought um, it was it felt very smooth. It felt very uh, fast paced, which is good because a lot of these women, you know, especially like the Iconics, 
or even like Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross, a lot of them don't get an opportunity to show what they can do. You know, a lot of it is just character work. A lot of it's just a moment of bliss or like the Iconics doing their little catchphrase deals. They don't get a lot of chance to show what they can do in the ring. And I thought this is a good showcase for all of them. And I thought they worked together really well. Um, ultimately, Sasha and Bailey get the win when Sasha rolls up. Alexa Cross, uh, Alexa Cross, Alexa Bliss hits the Twisted Bliss. Sasha Banks comes out of nowhere, sneaks a, a roll up victory over Bliss, retaining their tag team championships. Good stuff here. Match is good. I kind of preserved the uh, the build that they're kind of creating for Sasha and Bailey. Sasha has gotten both victories, both in winning the tag titles and retaining the tag titles, preserving. Bailey dose straps and I think is kind of building the kind of resentment from Sasha onto Bailey because she's kind of doing all the work and Bailey's reaping all the rewards, whether it's winning the tag team titles or, you know, keeping the SmackDown title on Bailey. I think Sasha's working really hard and Bailey's, like I said, reaping all the rewards from Sasha's hard work. Some good seeds being planted there. Uh, I just hope they don't drag it out too much because it's like inevitable at this point. It's almost so inevitable that I almost think they won't do it. I think they might just be trolling the fans a little bit here, but who knows. Um, but good match overall. I will say, first of all, Bailey is probably one of the most underrated women's wrestlers right now. She's so entertaining. She's so hilarious. Like She's embracing how obnoxious she can be. She's almost, her and Sasha are both like really tongue-in-cheek with everything. And uh, watching Bailey like interact with Michael Cole as, as she's wrestling, like yelling at him. Uh, just her character work in general has been really top notch lately. And um, I think she's finally starting to break out from you know because Bailey, her first couple years on the main roster, she kind of blended in to everybody else and what everybody else is doing. But I think she's finally straying away from the pack and establishing her own character. And I think that heel turn for her did wonders for her career. So I love what Bailey's doing. And speaking of underrated, I think Peyton Royce is also one of the most underrated wrestlers on the entire roster. Like I said, the Iconics, there are a lot of a lot of their deal is, you know, being screechy, having screechy voices, being Australian, you know, doing their little dance or whatever the fuck they do. But Peyton Royce is really really competent in the ring and I think she showcased that a lot in this match as well. And she is a very handsome woman, I must say. But nonetheless, that's beside the point. Whatever. Um, so yeah, good match. Good match. Good stuff. After that, we have Jeff Hardy versus Sheamus. So first of all, this, this whole angle is great. I love it. I love every minute of it. Some people think they went too far with the car crash angle or whatever. Look, do you want intricate storylines? Do you want intriguing feuds do you want something unique and different or do you just want the same old recycled bullshit do you want the attitude era or do you not want the attitude era do you want the pg era or do you not want the pg era you keep are are you just bitching for the sake of bitching i'm talking to the people who are claiming that this jeff hardy storyline is too much it's it's over the line it's not over the line it's not over the line you think they didn't get jeff hardy's blessing on this shit really Come on, man. The angle's great. You know, obviously alluding to Jeff's past with substance abuse and all of his suspensions and DUIs and all that. It's real. 
And um, I, th- in my opinion, the best storylines are ones that are based at least a little bit in reality. And I think they're doing a great job here. And I think Seamus is uh, filling his role as good as anybody can. I think Seamus is doing really good work here as well. Um, calling Jeff a junkie and all that. And <laughs> I got to say, I didn't watch SmackDown this past Friday. I heard about the contract signing, but this is the first time I actually saw it in the little video package before the match. Why was there so much piss? I don't think if I tried, like if I if I like actively tried to not piss all day, I don't think I could create that much volume of urine if I wanted to. I am thoroughly impressed by the sheer amount of piss that seeped out of Jeff Hardy's urethra. Incredible. Incredible. <laughs> they, you know, redid the thing that Sean and Vince did like 10 years ago or whatever, where Jeff threw the piss in Seamus's face. It's silly. It's whatever. But <laughs> I thought it was funny. Um, somebody, for the love of God, give Jeff Hardy some water, man. That dude is dehydrated. But whatever. Nonetheless, the match itself was really good. A lot of it was uh, Sheamus dominating the match and really putting over what a piece of shit he is. Really good character work by Sheamus in this match. You know, he's beating down on Jeff Hardy and he's yelling at the audience, you're all enablers, or however he talks. And then, uh, you know, yelling at Michael Cole because Cole has kind of been giving Sheamus the shaft, has been talking more about Jeff Hardy and not enough about Sheamus in his eyes. So Seamus is yelling at the crowd, yelling at Michael Cole. You know, he's beating down on Jeff Hardy. He he's, he's picks up Jeff Hardy to give him the beats of the Baldrin. And he's like, all right, Jeff, I'm going to beat the demons out of you. And he just, he's yelling at him and talking shit as he's doing it. Awesome stuff by Seamus here. That's a big part of the match was him just beating down Jeff Hardy. Jeff honestly didn't do that much as far as offense goes, other than a few of his signature moves. But, you know, Jeff is at that age where he's he's not going to be, you know, bouncing off the top ropes during the entire match. You know, Jeff Jeff is smart. Jeff, Jeff Hardy has been around for a long time, and he knows where his strengths are. He knows where his weaknesses are. And what he's very strong at is selling and bumping. And what Sheamus is good at is making people bump and making people sell. So I thought it was a good... There's some good cohesion there. And I think Jeff, as always, is one of the best sellers in the business and really just reinforced how dominant Sheamus is. And um, I really like the finish to this match, too. You have Jeff doing, he's walking the barricade, that move he always does, but then he gets caught in midair with a broke kick on the outside. Sheamus throws him back in, gives him a second broke kick for the one, two, three. Each kick looked super stiff. I don't know if it was stiff or if that's just Jeff selling of it. Either way, really good stuff. Loved every second of this match. And I think Sheamus came out of it looking dominant, looking credible. And I think, you know, looking at the roster, I wouldn't be surprised if Sheamus is next to challenge for the Universal Championship. So if the goal here was to make Sheamus look dominant and make make him look like a credible challenger, I think they did that very well. And ultimately, that's really the goal here so good stuff here good stuff by jeff you know i think like i said jeff is transitioning his style due to his age which is very smart and i think jeff is 
been showing off the best mic work of his career in the past few weeks. So, you know, if he, if he can't rely as much on the high flying bumps, he's relying more on the character work, more on the selling, more on the mic stuff. And I think Jeff is doing that very well, but definitely winding down for him. Um, don't want to see him take too much more damage. Lord knows this guy's already been to hell and back in his career, but good stuff by Jeff here. Good stuff by a very underrated Seamus. Loved it. After that, we got the Raw Women's Championship on the line. Asuka versus Nia Jax. Now, I know people went into this match wanting to shit on Nia. Nia Jax gets so much shit from the fans, including me. See episode 14 of The Apron Bump. But... I think this was a pretty damn solid match. Um, these two have really good chemistry. Um, either that or Asuka is just a really good leader in the ring. But whatever the case may be, I enjoyed this match for what it was. However, what the fuck, man? Can we stop it with the countouts on pay-per-views? For the love of God, there are other ways. If you want to stretch out a feud for several pay-per-views... Go nuts, but there are other ways to do it than these bullshit finishes. You could have Asuka get a, a shitty win, you know, with the help of Kyrie Sane, have her roll up Nia Jax, or have Nia slip on a fucking banana peel and break her neck. Whatever the whatever the case may be. If you wanna keep Nia looking strong, but keep the title on Asuka, there are other avenues to execute that. But just having a, a count out, it's lazy, it's done to death. We really Really need to stop doing that shit on pay-per-views, please. Whatever. The match, you know, up until then was pretty good. Like I said, I think people were just waiting for <laughs> Nia to, you know, tear Asuka's larynx or, you know, give her a concussion or fucking roll her ankle. I don't know, whatever. Whatever injury I think people were expecting from Nia onto Asuka. Asuka seemed to come out unscathed, which, you know, nowadays that's really all we can hope to see from Nia Jax, but... Other than that, pretty solid match here, and I assume we'll see a rematch at some point until Charlotte inevitably takes the title from her. Whatever. But, anyways, next match the Universal Championship Braun Strowman versus Miz and John Morrison. Now, first of all, I'm glad that they took the co champion thing out of it. You know, like they did when, you know, AJ Styles faced Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. They were building it like if if Owens and Zayn win, then they're going to be co-champions, which we all know that's never going to be a thing, right? And that's initially how they were building this match too. Like if Miz and Morrison win, then they're they're both going to be W or Universal Champion. I'm glad that they strayed away from that and made it so whoever got the pin would be champion, and that ultimately ended up factoring in the finish of this match when uh. I think, yeah, yeah, they hit like a double team move on Braun Strowman. It was like a skull crushing finale combination with a stomp from John Morrison off the top rope. It looked really good, actually. But uh, Morrison went for the pin after that. And then Braun or uh, Miz ripped Morrison off of him because obviously he wants to be champion. But then he had second thoughts about it and then told Morrison to pin him again. And then obviously at that point, too much time had elapsed. So he couldn't get the three count there. And then pretty soon after that, Braun hits the power slam on Morrison for the win. Braun retains the title here, as expected. Um, the match overall, man, I really like this match, actually. I expected, you know, 
not a lot from it, but I think it was paced very well. And I think Morrison looked like a star in this match. And um, and I think Miz played his part very well as well. As you know, the scared, chicken shit, slimy heel that he is. You know, that character that he thrives on. And um, I think everybody did very well in this match. Hopefully Miz and Morrison break up eventually. I think there's so much more value in the two individually than there is as a team. I'm glad they, you know, they got back together just for the nostalgia, even won the tag team titles and defended them. But I think they've done all they can do as a tag team in 2020. And I think Miz needs to get back to doing what he does. And I think Morrison needs a serious run on top because that guy has earned it. I've been back and forth on Morrison, you know, as I've been watching him during his career. But I think he's doing his best stuff nowadays in the ring. And, um... I think he's just a really likable dude, you know? I watch... I'm a big Survivor fan, right? And by big Survivor fan, I mean, I watched, like, the last 20 seasons in a span of, like, six months. And one of those seasons, John Morrison was on it. And the dude is so, so likable. He seems like a really cool dude that fans could really latch onto. And, you know, they flirted with that, you know, in the late 2000s when Morrison was a top baby face on SmackDown and he was challenging Jeff Hardy for the world title and facing CM Punk and stuff like that. I think Morrison has a place in the main event scene and I would really like to see him and Miz break apart and really both of them kind of rise up to that main event scene because Lord knows they need it. Um, especially now when you, you have a diluted roster, you need all the star power you can get. And I think these two guys, like I said, provide more value as singles than they do as a tag team at this point. And I think they teased a breakup at the end of this match with Miz tearing Morrison off of Braun Strowman. So we'll likely see that, and I hope we do. I really hope we do. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the music video at the beginning. If you don't think that that song slapped, I will never be able to take your opinion on music seriously. That fucking hey, 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 or whatever. I need to go look it up again, because that song was a banger. An absolute banger, and I am mad that Braun Strowman interrupted it. Fuck you, Braun. Anyways, what do we have after that? Oh, doggy. We have the WWE Championship on the line. Drew McIntyre versus Zeus. I mean, uh, Bobby Lashley. I really, really enjoyed this match, as I anticipated that I would. I'm not really breaking any new ground here. This isn't exactly a hot take, but MVP and Lashley is an outstanding pairing, dude. Awesome, awesome pairing of those guys because Lashley's never been a talker, you know? Even in TNA, when people loved all the stuff he was doing, he's kind of a cornball. MVP fills in those gaps that Lashley cannot accomplish. Lashley looks intimidating from the neck down, at least he does. And MVP is able to articulate what Lashley plans to do and the direction that Lashley intends to go. I've always loved MVP. He was, he's always been one of my favorites. I think he's one of the best on the mic that they got now. And um, he's very believable. And I think that's a thing that you don't see in a lot of modern characters. MVP immerses himself in the universe that he's in. And he comes off very legitimate and uh, very authentic when he, when he speaks. He doesn't come off like a TV character. He's not like Lana. When Lana speaks... You can, it's like, okay, she's doing a character now. Just like Sasha, Lana overacts way too much and it ruins every segment she's in. But MVP, you throw him in there instead of Lana. Now you got a legitimate 
legitimate mouthpiece and somebody that could actually take Bobby Lashley to new heights. He's not Leo Rush. Leo Rush, the whole Leo Rush thing was really, it had, it had its high points, but ultimately it was just a cartoony little stupid thing that did no wonders for Bobby Lashley as a character. So love the pairing there and um, love the match too. You had the pre-match attack from Lashley, which established sympathy for Drew McIntyre and established an uphill battle for him during this match because before the match, they were kind of on even playing fields. But now you have Lashley being a heel, as a heel should, attacking Drew before he's ready, putting Drew at a disadvantage in this match, making Drew fight from underneath, which is textbook heel face psychology. So good stuff there. Hard hitting. Ultimately, the finish comes when Lana walks out, distracts Lashley, distracts MVP. It's a whole schmoz, and then Drew whips out a Claymore for the win. Drew retains the WWE Championship, which I am all for. You know, I would love to see Lashley with the belt at some point, but I think right now he's just the right dude at the wrong time. Drew McIntyre is an awesome champion. Don't let the ratings fool you. The ratings aren't indicative of how well the WWE champion is performing. It's about wrestling as a whole, and it's about WWE as a whole. Drew McIntyre has been awesome. You know, you can tell his promos aren't scripted. You know, he lets him, he's allowed to be himself, which I think helps a lot. I wish more people had that freedom. But Drew is just a really likable guy. And he's a real badass. He's he's a larger-than-life-looking character, but also very likable. And I think that's a perfect blend for a top babyface champion. And um, I hope he holds on to it for a long, long time. I just question, you know, where does he go from here? Is it just a, a rematch with Lashley? Probably, right? Or maybe Drew goes on to face Randy Orton. Or maybe Kevin Owens or Andrade. I don't know. I feel like they don't have a lot of legitimate heels on roll now that i'm thinking about it but nonetheless should be interesting to see where it goes from here uh good stuff then after that boy howdy the raw tag team championship was on the line kind of uh street profits versus viking raiders now i didn't even know this match was happening until a few hours before the show so i'm not gonna sit here and be outraged that we didn't get a wrestling match between these two guys because ultimately who gives a shit right you know, this whole, all these skits and all these pre-recorded cinematic type stuff for these tag teams has done more for the tag team division than anything has in WWE in the past few years. Now, I have a whole podcast going into this in depth, shutting down the idiots, Smarks are ruined wrestling a few episodes ago. So if you want my really, really in-depth thoughts on this on this feud I invite you to check that out in the archives. But just a quick overview of this. I love what they're doing, I think. These skits, these pre-recorded stuff, this out-of-the-ring stuff establishes characters for both the Prophets and the Vikings. Because before, they were just nameless, faceless tag teams. You know, they had their music or whatever. They had their signature moves that they do every match. But nobody really associated personalities with these guys. But after all this... Now we know who these four people are. For better or worse, we know who these four individuals are. And now, once they do have an in-ring match, we'll be invested in it. Because the Viking Raiders and Street Profits have had several matches on Raw and NXT. I bet you, you can't remember fucking one. You know why? 
because nobody cared. You know why they didn't care? Because they didn't commit time to building their personalities. Now they have not only built their personalities, but now they're one of the most talked about parts of Monday Night Raw. So now when they do have a title match eventually, people are going to be invested in it. And then going forward, when other teams get thrown into the mix, they'll be invested in them as well. Would it, would it have been nice to see an actual match on this pay-per-view? Sure. I hear you. But you also got to consider this match was placed in the, the let-up part of the card. You know, you just had your WWE title match that's been built heavily over the past few weeks. And then right after this, you have the supposed greatest match ever. So what? why are you going to go out there and try to have a great match when it's guaranteed that the match after this is going to be better? You know what I mean? So, like... I think there's just more value in the cinematic match that they did. And um, especially when you factor in that a lot of people probably haven't seen the skits on Raw because guess what? Nobody's watching Raw. So it's a good thing. It was a good way to showcase the personalities of these four guys. Uh, five if you count Tazawa. And um, I loved it personally. I get it. It's not for everybody. I get it. But if you're going to go out and claim that, you know, Okay, yeah, sure. It was a budget version of Rush Hour 4. Sure, it was silly. The callbacks to all the skits they've done on Raw, yeah, it was a little cartoony. But it was fucking fun, okay? It was entertaining. I didn't tune out of it like I do with so many matches. It was unique and it stood out. And if you're going to claim, like I said, I go into way more depth than this in a previous episode. But if you're going to go ahead and claim that this kind of stuff is ruining tag team wrestling, you're just completely absent of logic. You're completely unable to view things broadly in a macro level. Because if you look at this in a vacuum, it's, yeah, it's just silly bullshit. But overall, it's building these teams to increase the visibility and the emotional investment of the tag team division. So no... It's not why the tag team division is a joke. If anything, it's what's revitalizing the tag team division. As long as they don't drag it out too much, all of this skits, all of these comedic stuff that they're doing is overall going to improve the tag team division. It's going to put more eyes on it, and it's going to establish characters that people can actually latch onto and care about. So no, it's not ruining tag team wrestling. It's improving it. Eat my asshole. After that, we have... The greatest wrestling match ever. By golly. Was it the greatest wrestling match ever? In my opinion, no. I think there's a lot of matches that stand above this match in terms of be it technical, uh, build up, emotional investment, crowd reactions, atmosphere, all those things come into play. I think a lot of matches, maybe not a a lot of matches, but a good amount of matches stand above this match, in my opinion. But that being said, I really, really love this match. I thought, in my opinion, I think it's definitely Randy Orton's best match. And as far as Edge goes, as far as just like pure singles matches, I struggle to think of anyone better. He's had a couple good matches with Eddie Guerrero, um, some good ones with John Cena and Shawn Michaels. But I think this match stands above all of them in my opinion. But as far as being the greatest wrestling match ever, I say it's not. And that's based on a few things. First of all, the buildup is too cheesy. And maybe that was by design. But in my opinion, you can't 
ultimately have the greatest match ever when the build to the match is literally can these guys have the greatest match ever it's silly it's dumb i hated it i hated every bit of it i hope to god it was just like a rib it was i hope it was more tongue-in-cheek than anything but <laughs> for some reason i feel like they thought that people would like this tagline and it really ultimately just became a meme it became a joke the the build up before like the build up to WrestleMania, they have the inherent history together. They have all that stuff. Randy attacking Beth, Edge coming back from in, from injury. Randy, you know, Edge claiming that Randy has coasted. They had all that stuff. They had all the ingredients, and they were able to do so much with this feud. But then they had this this umbrella, this dark cloud over everything. It's the greatest match ever. And with the fucking panic at the disco music. Why? Why is panic at the disco the theme for the greatest match? I get I get the name of the song or whatever. I get it. But like, I didn't need it. We get it. We, we see the graphic. It says greatest match ever. You don't need. This is the greatest show. Like, fuck you. Fuck off. Fuck you. Fuck you, panic at the disco. Like, I don't mind the tongue in cheek stuff. The cartoony buildup in this time period. I don't mind it in general, but you're just not going to get the greatest match ever when you're cutting up a pre-taped match with no crowd with a silly buildup. You're just not going to. And that's really unfair because I think this match was really good. I think if they, if these two guys literally would have just had this match at WrestleMania, I think it would have been so much more better received. I think you would have had an actual argument for being the greatest match ever had you just not had the stupid ass tagline along with it and had you just had this match at wrestlemania i mean it was probably around the same length right probably a little bit shorter than what they did at wrestlemania the fact that this build was literally can these guys have the best match ever it's just ass backwards psychology because the quality of a match is more than just the chain wrestling the pacing the callbacks and all that. It's more than that. It's about utilizing the buildup and translating that into physical combat. That's what Flair and Steamboat did. That's what HBK and Undertaker did. That's what Omega and Okada did. They didn't go into the match, you're about to see the best match ever. No, they just went out there and fucking did it. And I think if these two guys would have just done that, and this isn't, by the way, it's not on them. It's about the marketing of this match, which is so fucking dumb. If they just would have let them have this match at WrestleMania without the stupid marketing with it, it would have been astronomically better. Not astronomical. It would have been a, a little better. It would have been better. Okay? Fuck you. Anyways, that being said, I don't want to harp on that too much. I did love the match. I thought it was, like I said, the best singles match of each of these guys' career. And apparently Edge, at some point, tore his tricep in this match. I did not notice it at all. I couldn't tell you what spot it happened in. And I mean, it just, it didn't feel like it hindered the match at all. So good on edge for fighting through that. If that is indeed true. I also got to say, I loved the Fink tribute at the beginning of this match. Did not expect that, but I thought that was really cool. Uh, Fink is obviously, he's announced matches for both these guys. So it's very fortunate that they had the, uh, the audio from that, um, the old school MSG microphone that he used to use really cool stuff there. Really cool to see them, uh, Paying a little tribute to the Finkster. And the match itself, a lot of, it was a really good mix of, you know, you had a little bit of chain wrestling at the beginning, some catches catch can, um, counter reversals, 
stuff that you, not really formulaic ones either like stuff you would you generally don't see like i like how uh edge hit the ropes right and then randy went to do a drop down and so many times you'll just see him run over the guy but randy took the time to like grab edge's leg and like trip him up like little stuff like that little psychology stuff that is kind of abnormal from what you usually see i think is what really lended to making this match so good it's the little things. That's what Randy Orton does so well. And that's what Edge does so well. Psychology and the little details. And that's what really makes a match stand out. Um, so like I said, you got the chain wrestling in the beginning. The match kind of progresses. You have a few high spots. You have a really awesome looking superplex from Randy Orton. You have like the top, the draping DDT, but from the third rope instead of the second. Little things like that that like amped it up more than a normal match would be. I think put this match on a different level. And then you had, you know, they get to the beginning and then you have more like modern style finisher battles, a lot of false finishes. You could argue that they went a little over the top more than they should have, but I think it um I think it played out pretty well the way they did it. I love the callbacks in this match, you know, the flare chops. They call back to the flare steamboat matches with the flare chops and the steamboat drop kick. Um Edge paid a lot of homages to Christian with the unprettier and the little pendulum drop kick he did in the corner. You have a Randy Orton pedigreeing Edge, the Rock counter, uh, the Rock. Uh, you have a Edge countering that with a Rock bottom. You have both guys doing the Three Amigos to pay tribute to Eddie. These guys are really uh, giving a little shout out to other wrestlers that have arguably really have the greatest matches ever. So I think that was a really cool little detail they added to this match as well. I kind of wish they would have like done an Omega Okada tribute, just kind of like a like as a joke, like have like Randy Orton go for the one wing angel and then edge counter into a Rainmaker clothesline or something. So something like that. I thought that would have been really funny, but they probably don't know who either of those guys are anyways. But whatever. Ultimately, I thought the finish was awesome. I'll tell you why it was awesome, because yeah, Orton, I think he what gives Edge a low blow, right? Puts him down and then gives him his super finisher, the punt. Something we haven't seen in a very long time. Nobody gets up from the punt. One, two, three. Gives Randy Orton the win. So awesome because it made sense because we've seen so many finishers in this match already. So you really have to resort to pulling out a move that has put people out for months. So it made a lot of sense. For Randy Orton to whip that out, but also preserves Orton as a heel because, at, you know, he used a low blow to put him in that position. So you can kind of attribute that as a cheap win for Randy Orton. But, you know, I think it, I think it accomplished everything that these guys set out to do. I think they had, you know, they had a high bar. They had high expectations and seemingly unsurmountable expectations but i think these guys went out there worked a really smart match worked really hard and produced a match that i think a lot of people i mean i hear a lot of people say that yeah it was the greatest match ever and if people don't think it's the greatest match ever a lot of people are saying that it was probably the best match of the corona era the best match in the past five ten years whatever people may be saying a lot of people love this match and i think that's really all you can ask for that's really all you could have asked for from this match greatest wrestling match ever that's really subjective that's really a shitty tagline and a really shitty goal to have but i think these guys obviously had the best match of the night probably the best match of the year so far and 
the best matches of each of their careers. So props, major props to both these guys. I really, really love this match. It's probably a match that I would go back and watch, which I can't really say that a lot about a lot of matches nowadays. So it's a true testament to the skill of these guys. And uh, also another detail of this match, the fucking canned crowd noise. I touched on it earlier, but man, I, uh, I don't know if I like it or not. I will say I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would. I think it added a lot to certain spots in the match, but there were also spots where it was more distracting than anything. And looking online, it seems like people are pretty 50-50 on it. So I think it has its place. I just hope they don't overdo it. You know what I mean? I mean, greatest match ever. I get it. You want to amplify it as much as you can, but we don't need this shit for like a main event match with Jinder Mahal and some local jobber. You know what I mean? You don't need the this is awesome chance for um fucking i don't know brendan vink versus akira tozawa on raw you know know i mean you don't need holy shits for that but um i think you know it's better than no noise i will say that for sure so i'm sure we'll see that more often maybe i'll have a more strong opinion on it as i see it more often during this timeline that we're in but um you know what man i think it's all i got for you guys on this show overall from top to bottom, very solid show. I think it exceeded, it definitely exceeded my expectations. And I think it exceeded a lot of people's expectations for the uh, kind of lukewarm build up to the show. But overall, I had fun watching it. And that's really all you can ask for as a wrestling fan. Thank you guys once again. I know I say it every time, but really, really appreciate the support that you've shown this podcast recently. Uh, my views have been going up at a pretty high rate lately. Um, seeing a lot of downloads from all over the world it's truly truly humbling and i really appreciate the support once again so y'all take it easy and uh i'm hard Thank you.